Lord, we ask you to bless this time, bless us as we start studying your word and you guide us, lead us, show us what you want us to see from this. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Job chapter 3, we've had our prologue of Satan and God talking and Satan coming after Job, taking away all of his possessions, taking away his family. Uh, we ended with Job's three friends showing up. They sat around for a week just crying with him and looking at him. And now in chapter 3, we're going to have Job start speaking. So, Job chapter 3, verse 1. After this, opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. And Job spoke and said, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night which it was said, There is a man-child be conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and shadow of death stain it. Let the cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let not it be joined unto the days of the year. Let it, let it not come into the number of the months. Lo, let that night be solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. Let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to raise up their morning. Let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Let it look for light but have none let it neither let it see the dawning of the day because it shut up shut up not shut not up the doors of my mother's womb nor hid sorrow from my eyes why died i not in the womb why did i give not give up the ghost when i came out of the of the belly why did her knees prevent me or why did the breast that i that i should suck for i for now should I have been laying still and been quiet, I should have slept then, then had I been at rest with the kings and counselors of the earth which build desolate places for themselves or with the princes that had gold who filled their houses with silver or as a hidden untimely birth, I had not been as infants which never saw light. So we're going to stop there because it's a little more than half of it. We're seeing here Job... Job speaking and basically we're hearing oh woe was me I wish I was never born now it's kind of understandable he has lost everything he has lost his health he's been sitting for a week or more scratching himself with a piece of pottery because of all the boils and sores that he's been having uh, people and we remember in the previous chapter his friends saw him from a distance and they go is that Job now that doesn't even look like Job so they, there was this going on, and finally Job opens up the conversation, and he says, Let the day perish when in, wherein I was born, and the night which it was said that there is a man-child conceived. He goes, he, he, he's not even saying, I wish I wasn't born. He's saying, I wish that day had never even existed. <laughs> Go blot out the entire day. <laughs> and this is very poetic language that he's using um, and he's going to this whole chapter is going to be him repeating this same thing uh, and this is something I have seen many times where somebody is in extreme pain and anguish they're going oh woe is me and they keep repeating exactly what has been going on with their life over and over and over again and this is Job's statement he says let darkness and shadow of death stain it let a cloud dwell upon it let the blackness of the day terrify it, overwhelm it. You know, and so he's saying, you know, all of these things, he goes, 
I, you know, that day should not have started. Don't, you know, don't even let it. He says, let that day be dark. Don't let God regard it from above. So he goes, God, I know you're everywhere and everything, but God, don't, God, don't you even recognize the day I was born. This is somebody who's in extreme sorrow, extreme pain. He's not only saying, I wish I was never born. He's saying, I wish the day had never even existed. Now, I don't think I've ever been that bad off you know, to not even want the day to exist. But this kind of goes into the idea of, oh, this day is so bad. I wish, you know, wish I could go back and start it all over. I wish it hadn't even occurred. This is where Job is at. We don't know how old he was at this time that he was saying this, but he's going, I wish I could go back 100, 120 years, however far back it was, and erase a day from the calendar. Now, that's pretty pretty much misery and that's extreme misery and he's going I wish God would not even even notice that day I, I wish God had would not regard it or frequent it that neither let the light shine upon it let no truth shine upon it he goes I am so miserable I wish that day had never occurred now I don't know what else happened on the day of Job's birth but that's a pretty bad statement now, who knows what else wouldn't happen if he hadn't been, you know, if that day had not existed. So we have this going on with the, but this does show the depths of Job's anguish. As he's going, you know, I am so miserable, I wish a day was taken out of the, out of the calendar. Verse 5 says, let the darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of day terrify it or overwhelm it. He's going, just darken that whole day. Let darkness indwell that day. Don't let anything, don't let anybody see that day. As for the night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined into the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of months. And here's where we really see his idea. Go, God, uh, take it, just mark it out of the month. You know, don't let it even get into the years. And I kind of think that's an interesting statement. He's, he's not only wishing that that one day not happen. You know, he's saying don't let it come into the months or the years. He's going, take it completely from the calendar. Take, that, take the day of my birth out completely from the calendar. Do not let it even exist in the future. Now, I'm sure he had a few good birthdays you know, in his lifetime. But his misery was such that I wish I had never been born. I wish they never celebrated my birth and never had any activities with it. We do have a, a problem with our humanity that we always think, what has been done for me lately? You know, what has happened lately for me? And I could have had a really wonderful life, and he had a wonderful life. He's been wealthy, he's had kids, he's got, you know, he's had servants. He's had a wonderful life up till this point. If I was him, what day would I be? What day would I be cursing? Would be the one that was about a week to a week to a month ago when everything bad happened. I wouldn't be saying I would be cursing the day of my birth, but he's cursing the day of his birth. Now I would go, you know, and I probably we've all done this. I remember the day that everything disappeared and everything bad happened to me. I wish that day never happened. All right, but he's going all the way back and saying, I am so miserable. I wish I had never been born. And nothing good has ever happened to me in my entire life. How would you like to have been his poor wife? Nothing good has ever happened to me. And you're thinking, well, didn't we, we got married? We had some kids? 
you know, nothing good has happened. You wish you had never been married. And that's, you know, been born or married or had these kids or made the business deals that you made. You know, there's all these things that people could be looking at and saying, a very narrow focus that says, this is so bad, I wish, you know, and you forget about it. And this is why I tell us all the time, it's a very good thing for us to keep in a journal all the good that God has done because when bad things happen to us, we do get in that narrow vision and saying, oh, nothing ever good has happened to me. It's been so bad. Nothing good has happened to me. And that's when it's good to have something we go back on and and read over and over and over again. But we do need to remember that good things have happened. And Job's saying, blot blot that day off the calendar, period. Quite a a strong statement. Lo, let the night be solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. And if you've ever been around when the baby is born, it's like, all right, I've got a, ba- I've got a baby boy or a baby girl. What wonderful. And you're telling everybody. You know, he's saying that night should never have happened. My mom and dad should never have had a joyful night that night. Get rid of that whole, whole event. And again, as was pointed out several times, he is so bad off that he is not focusing on anything good. He's been scratching his sores. He's been miserable pouring ashes over his head saying oh woe is me oh woe is me and now he's saying you know it's so bad I just wish nothing you know nothing good has happened when we get to that point we're in trouble all right this is why we need to be focusing on God we need to focus on the fact that he's sovereign that he has a plan that he is still in charge even when bad things seem to be happening to us now Poor Job, he does not have the whole Bible to read on this. He just knows what he knows about God. And he doesn't have the Bible saying all things work together for good. He doesn't have the, the scripture that says in everything give thanks. You know, he is just sitting down with what he knows about God, his encouragement. We're going to find out that he was an encourager. He, you know, he encouraged people to serve God and to to look at the bright side of things And as, as he's friends of his talked to him but at this point he sees nothing good he sees nothing positive at all and so we go forward and it says let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to raise up their mornings now this curse is kind of an interesting verse I even looked it up because I looked it up in the Hebrew and it's very strange because it says let them denigrate that curse the day who are ready to raise up the Leviathan. Which doesn't have anything to do with what it says here in the scriptures. But it also doesn't make it any clearer. What was the last part you said? That, that raised up the Leviathan, the, the sea monster. The word morning, this is the only place where that word is translated into anything but Leviathan. So I don't know. So it seems that there in his day were people that pronounced curses on things. Let them that curse it, you know, that, that they're, they're, they believe their job is to curse things, curse that day. Oh, he's pretty sad. <laughs> you know, let, let those demon worshipers and, and bad guys go curse. Those who call out or incite up their Leviathan, their dragon, their, their whatever it might be. Uh, because the word for Leviathan indicates some kind of sea monster, some kind of dragon, 
uh, out there. Uh, so he's really miserable. He's saying, okay, I would not have anything to do with these guys, but let those guys that, w that do these things come and curse the day of my birth. Uh, yeah, and I don't know, you know, I've not been in his place, but this seems rather extreme. Uh, his level of anguish is an extreme anguish. He has forgotten, as was said, all the good that's ever happened to him. He's forgotten everything, and he's saying, I just want the whole day. Just curse that whole day. I, I should never have been born uh, because uh, this day is so miserable, it has blotted out all the good things that have ever happened to me. Blotted out the nine kids being born, blotted out my wedding, blotted up my graduation, blotted up learning how to take care of the animals and farm and all these things. It's taken and gotten rid of everything. It is so bad that nothing good I just wish that they cursed the day that I was born. And I don't want to be too hard on him because none of us have ever been at this extreme. No. Now, some of us have had bad days where we go, man, this is a terrible day. Uh, and like I say, we might say, and I've heard people say, I wish I didn't get up this morning because it's been so bad. All right. Uh, and this is what, what uh, Job is saying. Now, he's not only saying, I didn't want to get up this morning. I didn't get, want to get up two weeks ago when I got sick. I didn't want to get up a month ago when, when everything was taken. He's gone, I never even wanted to start this life. And verse 9 says, Let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Let it look for light, but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of day. So here we go again. You know, I wish that the sun had not come up that day. Now, he would have still been born even if the sun hadn't come up that day because they would have still tracked time, but he's going, his essence on that was that the sun comes up and starts a day. He goes, I'm hope, I wish that the day had not even started. Then I wouldn't have been born, at least not on that day. Maybe he's thinking that if I wasn't born on that day, something else would have I would have been born on another day and this wouldn't have happened. I don't know what he's thinking at this point. Uh, and he says, but have none, neither let it see the dawning of the day. He goes, I wish it was just a dark, miserable day. That nobody would have had any joy coming into that particular day. And so we see here this whole process. Verse 10 says, because it shut not up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from my eyes. So now he's got two complaints. I was born. <laughs> And I had sorrowful times. So now he's shifting a little bit away from his birth and saying, you know, hey, I wish mom had never got pregnant in the first place and that I was never born and that I, that way I would never have seen sorrow. Now, it is one kind of an interesting thing. How charmed was Job's life before this, uh, this attack? Now, I do know there are people that seem to seem to say nothing's bad's ever really really happened to them. Sometimes I feel like that. I don't I've not had any major serious problems in my life that at least as far as I'm concerned. Now my stepmom would disagree. She would point out several things, but none of them devastated me. And Job I think had that kind of life going into this attack from Satan. Everything he touched was prospered. Everything he did seems to seems to good. But few setbacks he had were not major setbacks. And now he's had one really big setback, and it's causing him to question everything. 
And this is and can be the problem if you do not have a hardships in your life that you've had to overcome when something does happen. And it's not a if it happens, it's when it happens. Something bad is going to come along. How do you react? And I think Job is basically saying, I've really had no big setbacks in my life. And now all of a sudden, I've got this problem going on in my life. And this can be a major issue. And he's, he's really concerned about that uh, as he's going forward. Verse 11 says, why died I not in the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? All right. <laughs> why, why, why didn't I just give up? Why did I have to be born? And these are strong statements. You know, I wish that I had died in my mother's womb. You know, I wish that I had died when I was first born. Now, in his day, this was a major issue. People died frequently at birth. And it wasn't so long ago that it still was true. Uh, I have some of my older relatives that had probably twice as many kids that died at childbirth than it lived uh, because that was the problem that people had and we see this going on and people you know it's very funny when you hear people say you know that the average age back in the 1800s was only like 40 or 50 well it is true the average age was about 40 or you know 50 40 or 50 however once you lived past 10 years old, you pretty much lived to be 60, 70, 80, or 90. But so many kids died at birth or before 10 years old that the average was drugged way down. So there, if you lived past 10 years old, you pretty much lived to about the same time we live in our day and age. But so many people died at an early age that the average age was really low. And we now can save most of our kids, so our average age is climbing really fast because we don't have as much premature deaths. We don't have as much abuse of children. We don't have as much children diseases being killing the children. And so we have a much higher average age. And he's saying, you know, hey, why couldn't I have been one of those that died at birth? You know, God, there's lots of them. Why, why did I have to live to go through this? And that, this is his statement here. And then he goes, why did the knees prevent me? Or why the breast that should suck? Now this one is going to be a little harder to, to really understand. But what he is saying here, let's try to say it as nicely as possible. Why did my mom and dad even have sex and, and conceive me in the first place? That's what he said in that verse, <laughs> in a very poetic, you know, why did the knees open up, why did the legs open up and, and conceive me in the first place? <laughs> this is pretty serious as he's going through this. Uh, it's in a poetic statement, and I don't want to be, you know, obtuse on it, but it's, you know, he's basically saying, why did they ever get together and, and get me started in the first place? Why were there breasts that were, you know, got pregnant so that I could have, that they could have you know, milk for me? Uh, so this is his great um, anguish that he's in. Not only say, you know, was I shouldn't have been born, I should have died before I was born. By the way, they should not have even got me born in the first place. 
And Job is in a really bad place. He has taken his eyes off God. I would say that for at least this week, he has never made a sacrifice. He's probably not thought too much about God during this period of time. He is in a classic backslidden state at this point, and probably rightfully so. He's a little angry with God. God, I honored you. I've sacrificed for you. I've done all these things, and look what has happened to my life. Everything is gone. I have honored you. And I've heard people say this. I've heard people say, I can't be a Christian because I gave up being a Christian because bad things happened in my life. And you know, you're looking at them and going, nothing good has happened since that event at all. God didn't let it. Everything I have is now by my own two hands. I have earned it all myself and God has nothing to do with it. I don't want anything to do with God. And and Job is basically getting that close. He He hasn't really accused God yet. He's smart enough at this point not to accuse God, but he's saying, I just wish nothing. I wish I hadn't been born. God, why did you let me be born is what he's really saying, though he hasn't come out and say it uh, yet. And he goes, for I should have lain still and been quiet. I should have slept. Then I would have, would been, have been at rest. He goes, if I had never been born, I had not been conceived, then I would be just resting. Now, the problem is, he, if he had never been conceived, he would not exist, so he wouldn't be resting either. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting statement that he's making. Um, it goes, if I wasn't conceived then, but we go back to the previous one, if I had died in my mother's womb, then I'd be at rest. Nothing bad would ever have happened to me. And, you know, this is a true statement. Once we die, nothing, nothing bad is going to happen to us as long as we are a follower of Christ. If we're not a follower of Christ, nothing but bad is going to happen to us. So Job is saying, I just wish I was with him. You know, get it all over with, be in heaven. Uh, Be at rest. And I would be at rest with the kings and counselors of the earth that have built desolate places for themselves or with the princes that had gold who filled their houses with silver. So here he's saying, it would really be nice I could be like the kings. Now, and we sometimes, you know, we talk about it a whole whole lot. Even back in Job's day, kings were building fantastic mosques and burial places. And he's saying, I, I could be sleeping with the kings in a nice, nice, beautiful tomb. A beautiful, desolate place, because most people think of those places as desolate. Now, it's kind of an amazing thing. If you've ever gone to an old, old cemetery, especially in the East or in Europe, how many mausoleums there are out there where they have built these great big buildings on the, on the cemeteries. Nobody ever goes to them except when there's a funeral. But they build these great big desolate houses to be buried in. Uh, the pharaohs built great big pyramids to be buried in uh, as they prepared for the afterlife where they were going to be ushered into their their eternal kingdom. Um, and they're not the only ones that have done great, huge, you know, monuments in their death. But we still know the pharaohs because we've got those pyramids all over Egypt <laughs> that were built for them. And he says, were uh, the princes who had gold and filled their houses with silver. And all these very fancy places. 
I can almost picture that he might have thought, one day I'm going to have a nice fancy burial place because I've got plenty of money to build it. And now he's looking at, I can't even have a nice place to sleep, you know, sleep in death. Uh, and so he's really bemoaning it. Or as a hidden, untimely birth that I had not been as infants which never saw light. Untimely birth is literally miscarried. He goes, I just wish I had been miscarried. Uh, and that I had never seen the light of day. Never had my hopes up for a good, better, better end. And we can't blame him. We really can't blame him. He did not have chapter 1 and chapter 2 knowing what was going on. He does not know that this is something that God has let happen to teach him something and to prove something to Satan. He does not know. All he knows is his whole life has been turned upside down. So bad that he's going, I wish I was never born. And, you know, we need to be careful because this type of stuff can happen to us. You know, that we just say, I wish I had never been born. My life is just so miserable. And then we start focusing in on the misery of our life and forget all the good. Never lay down all the good. I think of Joseph when he was sold into slavery. How easy would it have been for him to say, I give up. Nothing good is ever going to happen to me. I'm I'm a slave now. Why am I still trusting God? God put me in in this bondage. And yet he stayed focused on God. And nowhere in the scriptures do we ever see him grumbling and griping about being in slavery. Because he could have been saying, God, you said my brothers, you showed me a dream. My brothers were going to bow down to me. And now I'm a slave in Egypt. Mom and dad were going to bow down to me. And now I'm a slave in Egypt. And then, you know, he gets tempted to have adultery, or in his case, fornication, but adultery with Potiphar's wife. And you've got to remember, at this time, he's early 20s, mid-20s. And right in the height of sexually being aware... And he rejects her and says, this is against God's laws. And his reward for that was to be put into prison. How would you feel if you were in Joseph's place at that point? God, I'm just honoring you. I'm interpreting dreams for you. Now I'm in prison because I stood for your your righteousness. And you're going, what's wrong with this picture? He could have easily been Job at that point in time saying, hey, I wish I had never been born. I wish this, this is, I don't understand anything about what's going on. I, I obey God and I, worse things happen to me. I just tell my, you know, I, I, I see dreams and interpret dreams and bad things happen to me. I stand up and do what's right and bad things happen to me. There had to be some great faith in him to keep it moving for 13 years of being in slavery and prisoner to keep him in that long and still hold on to his integrity when it seemed like every time he did something right something bad happened why did God keep him waiting that long just to just to make him stronger no, I mean, did he, did he waiting have him in the right place for the for the right time who else needed to have things put in place during that time? Ten brothers needed to be put into the place where they would be ready to. This actually was what I said this morning. All things work together for good 
And we always want to put in for my good, and it's not for my good. Joseph was sold into slavery for 13 years. He was ready at any time to be promoted. Maybe he, you know, I think he was a little bit of proud and arrogant, so maybe he needed a little bit of breaking of his pride and arrogance as well. But his 10 brothers had to be in a place also where their conscience is bothering them. Because remember when and they came down and he says, one of you is going to stay back. And they're going, it's because of what we did to Joseph that this is all happening to us. Would they have said that one year after he had been sold into his slavery? Would they have said that within two years? It was what God needed to do for those brothers to be ready to, to, be, to be repenting. God is patient. He has a long process. He's willing to make things happen that is good for us in the long run. And if we fight against what he's doing and make the process last longer, he's willing to say, okay, you want to fight? Uh, I'm, I'm stronger and I'm more patient and I'm going to last longer than you. And yet God has a plan that entails sometimes hurting us if we keep pushing and for those of us who are very stubborn, sometimes it takes a long time for that, that growth to happen. So in Joseph's case, part of it was him being broken from his arrogance and him, making him humble. Some of it was getting his brothers ready to be able to, number one, not recognize him when, he, when they stood before him. And to get them at a place where they were so convicted that they were ready to repent. A lot of things. And then, of course, the, the right timing for the, for the famine and, uh, and everything else to occur. This is something that is very interesting. The patience of God to work with us stubborn humans. don't like using the word stubborn, but God can be more stubborn than we are. Once he's made up his mind, he, he says, this is what's going to happen. How long do you want to fight to make it happen? Now, how long do you want to try to fight me? Uh, now, he's a Goliath that you can't beat. <laughs> Because he is not going to take any, any punishment on it. How long do you want to fight? How hard do you want to fight? Now Job, on the other hand, is just giving up. <laughs> He's going, God, I'm so miserable. I don't remember doing anything good. And we're going to have his friends telling him. that His friends, especially the first ones, are going to tell him, Job, you used to do these good things. What, what's wrong? Why are you so desolate? Why are you saying nothing good has ever happened? So they're going to be telling him that in response to this. Leviathan could have been Satan. Well, Leviathan is described later in the book of Job as a sea, fire-breathing sea monster. If you think about this, people who practice black magic and everything usually have familiars that can be from anything from a cat to a, to a snake or anything else. So these ones just seem to have had some control over sea monster or could raise one up. I don't know how much control they had once they raised it up. He understood this. Verse 17. There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary be at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of the oppressor. The small and the great are there. The servant is free from his master. Wherefore is light given to him that is in misery, and light, and life unto the bitter in soul, which long for death, but it comes not, that dig for it more than for hid treasure which exceeding, rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hid and to whom God hath hedged in? For my sighing comes before I eat and my roarings are poured out like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me and that which I was afraid of came 
is, is come to me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. So starts out in verse 17. All right. He's been talking about death and everything. And he says, there the wicked cease from troubling and there is weary at rest. You know, so here he's saying that it comes to an end. Life comes to an end. And then people get to rest. Now, he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of vision of what the afterlife is at this point in time. Because if he did, he wouldn't be using the evil ones as ending up in rest. Because they end up facing the ultimate punishment for eternity. All right, but he's saying all those that are evil, eventually they get rest because they cease from their unrest and they don't, and it comes to an end. And he goes, the prisoners rest together. They hear not the voice of those that oppress them, that punish them. So it goes, the prisoners end up at rest by dying. And, you know, this is a probably kind of a true statement. You know, they're going to end up in hell for a period of time, but their body and what people see, they're at rest. And he's saying even the prisoners have rest. And it says the small um, and the great are there. Basically, at this point, he's saying death takes everybody. Small, great, prisoners, uh, the troubled. The servant is free from his master. He goes, there comes a time when death comes to everybody. And he's at a point where he's saying, just bring death. Death, death is better than what I'm going through. Now, what did he say to his wife when she said, curse God and die when he first got sick? Oh, foolish woman, you know, will we accept uh, good from God and not bad from God? Now, it's quite a different statement when he's been sick for quite a while, at least a week or, or more. A week, a week that his friends have been sitting and who knows, because news had to get to them and they had to come to him. So we're looking at least due to two, months, uh, two weeks to a year, uh, two, two weeks to a, to a month that he has been suffering. And his statement has gone from, oh, foolish woman, to, okay, how about telling me to curse God now? I'm, I'm ready to curse God and die. All right? Uh, there's enough in him that says, I'm not ready to curse God and die. But he is saying, I wish I was dead. But he's not ready to end his life at this point. So there's something in him that's still deeply seated that says, I still trust God. I still trust God enough not to commit suicide, not to want to die, even though I want to die. <laughs> and do you, you understand what I'm saying there? There's something deep inside him that's saying, no, it's not time to die. I wish I was dead. I feel miserable. I don't really want to live. But there's still some hope in him that God is God and that God has a plan. He doesn't understand it. He is miserable, but deep down inside him, there's this little bit of a hope. This little bit of a hope. It says, wherefore is light given to him that is in misery and life unto the bitter in soul? And this word for light is instruction. Why are instructions given to those that are in misery? And you know, how often does our instructions and our belief in God sound pretty hollow when everything seems bad. And when I've gone through bad times, I've told you all, there's many times I've asked God, I'm going, God, I know all things work together for good, but I do not 
understand. I do not understand what good is going to come out of this. This is what he's saying here. Why does light, why does instruction come to those that are miserable? Because <laughs> it just makes you more miserable at one point. God, I know you say all things work together for good, but I don't see anything good from this. And it's almost misery. But it does give you an anchor to hold on to. And I, you know, if you've ever seen it, I, I love the picture of the cat hanging on to a, to a string with a knot tied at the end. And it says, you know, I think it says, when all else fails, tie, it, you know, tie a knot at the end of the rope and hold on for all you've got. And sometimes that's all we can do. We can say, God, my knot is right here. You're in control. All things are going to work together for good. I'm hanging on to that, that knot because I have nothing else to hold on to. And this is where Job is saying, he goes, even the light, why would you send light to me? I'm miserable. Uh, and life to those that are bitter in soul. You know, when you're really down, you look around and say, well, that person died and everything was going good. That person died and everything was going good and you're making me live. I've heard that statement before. You know, my life is just so miserable and I'm still alive and all these other people that I know are dead and, and enjoying, you know, and they enjoyed life and then they died. And he's basically saying, God, you give life to those that are, you know, what he's saying is, God, are you a torturer? <laughs> You're making those that are bitter live so they can continue to be bitter? And, you know, in one thing, it shows God's mercy and his grace to give them, give them more chances to get rid of their bitterness, get rid of their envy. And this is what he's saying. Why are you doing that? Verse 21 says, which long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than, than for hid treasure. People that long for death, that just want to die. I can picture that Joseph probably was in that place after a while, especially when he was in prison. God, I honored you. I did what was right. And now look at me. I'm in this prison. And prisons in those days were not nice places, especially if you didn't have family to feed you. Uh, and so he is in a dark, dangerous d prison, probably saying, God, I don't understand why I am still alive. Like every, time I every time I obey you, I get, get worse. <laughs> have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where it seems like every time you obey him, it gets worse? We have to be very careful because we are sitting at the end times where things may start getting pretty miserable for us as Christians. When you don't know that if a knock on the door is going to be the, the force that's going to arrest you to torture you. Uh, if you've ever read Tortured for Christ, the Richard Warnbrandt story, I mean, he keeps, keeps preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, and his reward was getting sent to gulags and being tortured and being tortured some more, and then being sent out so he could preach the gospel to be arrested again and be tortured. How would we react? Would we be looking at, like, Job? Like, God, why can't you just end this? I, I'm just, I'm praying for death. I want death. I want, you know, and I love this description of it. They dig for death more than for hid treasures. Now, I've never been there. Job is not quite there yet either because he would, have been, he would have committed the suicide at that point in time. But he's going, I really want to die. I'm almost getting to the place where I want it more than I want to find wealth. 
and all of this is going on, which rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. <laughs> now, he just said that those who are in the grave don't do anything. <laughs> they just rest. And now he's saying they're happy about being dead. This is a suicide. He is at the point of being suicidal. You know, this is the type of thing people who are suicidal will say. I just want to get it all over with, so I'll be happy. The only thing that keeps most suicidal people from committing suicide is they don't want to hurt their family. And that's why many of them will get as far from their family as possible before they commit suicide, or, as we're finding in today's world, kill their entire family and then kill themselves. So their family doesn't have to suffer. Uh, and this is what he's saying, they were glad to die. And he's probably saying the same thing, God, I would be glad to die. <laughs> in all of this. Why is light given to man whose way is hid and whom God hath hedged in? So, God, why are you giving light when I can't even see my path? We see this statement over and over again when God says, the word of God is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Now, note that God says it is a lamp. If you've ever tried to walk with a lantern, lanterns only give a little bit of light. All right? You know, if you have a really good one, you might get 20 feet out of it. You know, maybe 30 feet if it's a really good one. And if you're walking with it, it's just a little bit showing ahead of you. Now, nowadays, we have flashlights that can light up the whole world. <laughs> uh, but God doesn't give us that in our life. He doesn't give us a a million power candlelight uh, flat, uh, light to say, okay, here's your path. Why? Because he wants us to live by faith. And Job is saying, God, why, you know, you're not even, I, you give me this little bit of a light, but, I, I, but the way is hidden. I can only see a few steps. I can't see what's coming. And you have hedged me in. You have, uh, disquieted me you have encircled me so that I can't get anywhere you have hedged me in now Satan said that he was hedged in too remember in the first two chapters Satan goes you hey you've hedged him in I can't get to him now that was a nice wide hedge of lots of freedom now he says you've hedged me in how right is Job in this God has hedged him in Satan is not allowed to kill him. The only problem is his hedge is very tight and he's feeling the pain of it. God puts us in hard places so often so that we will learn to trust him. Learn to trust him more than ourselves. And this is very important for us to understand. The more we trust him, the wider that hedge can be because we're trusting him. The less we trust him, the harder the place is for us to learn to trust him. And I don't know what Joseph, we talked about Joseph earlier, maybe Joseph had to learn a little more trust in God for all that he was going through. Because he was his father's favorite. He was being honored. He had the coat of many colors. And you know, that coat of many colors meant that he was above everybody. You know, how would you like to be in a family business where the youngest brother was in charge? doesn't go over very well for the older brothers. Now, these guys are at least 10 years older than he is. 
and they're adults now, you know, and he's in 17 years old, so they're like mid-20s. There is nobody in their mid-20s that likes to have somebody really, really young in charge. And much less their little brother. And if you've ever seen the family dynamics, I am, we saw the arrogance. When you look at Job's life, uh, 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 Joseph's life, he was pretty arrogant. <laughs> hey, brothers, you know, let me tell you about my dream. We were in the fields, and, and we were all gathering sheaves, and your sheaves bowed down to us. How arrogant was he being? That dream should never have been told to his brothers. And I don't think that he was the innocent people most, person most people were trying to make him out to be. So God did have a lot of work on Joseph to be doing during all of this period as well. And he had to work on the brothers to get them ready to hear what was going on. Um, he says, For my signs come before I eat, and my roarings are poured out like the waters. My signs, my groanings for my physical distress. He is in so much pain that he, he spends the whole time just groaning. I can't, you know, I've seen this with various people that are in so much pain, all they do is groan and gripe and complain. And this is what he's saying. I am in so much pain that all I do is groan and it starts before I even eat. I get up out of bed and I'm creaking and cracking and <laughs> I'm in pain and I'm, and I'm in pain and I don't even, don't even know and it starts my day off. Those of us who are older know, that, know what that's like. You wake up and you go, why did I even go to bed? I'm stiff and sore just getting up out of bed. This is what he's saying. I am, you know, what little sleep I'm getting, I'm waking up and I'm in, in pain. I'm groaning. And then he says, and my roarings are poured out like water. And this is kind of an interesting, interesting word that he's using. Uh, it means to settle down, to complain a lot. And he says, I'm sitting down and all I'm doing is like roaring. And I have a feeling that it's more deeper than that, even though I could not prove it. Uh, he's just not feeling good every time he does this. And if you're really sick, and if it really is the disease the doctors think it is, he was also probably throwing up and having trouble keeping any food down. All right? And so... He is completely in pain. And nothing is being helping him. And then he says something that I find very difficult and hard to understand. For the thing that I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Now this is kind of an interesting statement. I had to actually go to a lot of the scholars because I couldn't understand this one. He's, left, he's led a pretty charmed life. You know, does that mean he was always in fear that, that everything was going to be taken away from him? It's possible. You know, maybe one day I'm going to do something so bad that God's going to take everything away from me. And in this case, he's looking at his life and going, I didn't even do anything bad. And everything got taken away from me. Most of the scholars that I read think that on the first time that he got the message that that his flocks had been stolen and, and destroyed. He's going, okay, like many people, oh, okay, wonder what else is going to happen today. And then another person came, oh, wow, more of my stuff is gone. And I've heard this so many times. People will go, what else can go wrong? <laughs> I have learned never to ask that question. <laughs> 
And I have a feeling that might be what this is talking about. And then he gets the third person and says, everything is gone. And at that point he goes, well, the only thing that's left is for my family. God, don't take my family. And his family is taken. And then he's thinking, you know, well, all I got left is my wife and my health. Don't want those gone. That's a possibility. It is a possibility because I have heard that statement so often. You know, we hear bad things come in threes. Uh, you know, uh, what else can go wrong? Everything's lost. There's nothing else God can take. You know, it'd be probably something not to say. And I kind of tend to believe that that may be a true statement. He says, when bad things started rolling in, all right, God, what's next? God, you can't, are you going to, how, when is this going to stop? Especially after number two. God, I don't have a whole lot left. I've lost almost, I've lost two thirds of my possessions. And then the last one comes and says, now you've lost all your possessions. And then he sees one more rider coming across the plains or walking across or walking across. However, that servant came to him. And he's going, no, it can't be. He's coming from the direction of my kids. No, God, that can't be what's going to, he can't give me the news that I'm afraid he's going to give me. And the fear, the idea that it keeps getting worse. Everything just goes from bad to worse. And he's looking at all of this going on. And he says, I was not in safety or or rest and quiet. Neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. (laughs) This is kind of an interesting statement. He's had plenty. He's been offering sacrifices for his kids. You know, apparently he always worried that his kids were going to die because of their lifestyle. Uh, Now they are dead. And he's saying, God, I was never at rest. And I'm wondering about this statement because it could be a very true statement. How many people appear to be happy, appear to be at rest? And if you really get to know them, they are not. They're troubled by all kinds of things. A lot of times the wealthy and the super rich are this way. You look at them and say, oh, wow, they got everything all put together in their life. And if you get to know them, which is hard for low-level people like us, but if you get to know a couple of them, you find out they're very concerned. They're very unhappy. And we can know that for true anyway, because how many of them go into drug rehabilitation and, and alcoholic re- rehabilitation and commit suicide? They are never at rest. Even though they have everything that we think we want, they're not happy because they don't know God. And this is a very serious thing. Now, he knows God, and he's still saying, you know, hey, I was, in, I was never at rest. He was always worried that bad things were going to happen to him. And that is part of the problem with the prosperity gospel that he believes in. Well, if I'm just bad enough, maybe God's going to take everything away from me. You know, my kids are going to be bad, and they're going to, they're going to lose and, and, and lose everything. And all, I'm just one step away from stepping off the cliff and being disobedient. What sin is going to take me away from my prosperity? This is a sad way to live. Those who believe you can lose your salvation, it's a sad way to live. You know, all right, God really doesn't love me enough to keep me, keep me safe. He gave me, he saved me through Jesus Christ, but oh, I've got to keep it. And if I don't keep it, 
then I'm going to be going to hell because I didn't, I didn't do enough. <laughs> I had no rest. I was never at peace because I was afraid everything was going to fall apart. When we know that we have God and he has got us in his hands, stuff doesn't matter. Our family doesn't matter. Because who are we holding on to? We're holding on to the God of the universe that can keep us, that can control the future, who knows the future. And we can know that we are at rest no matter what. You know, and I thank God that God is blessing me. I thank God that I've got a house to live in and I've got a car to drive and I've got a good job. But you know what? If all of that was taken away overnight, I still have God. I still have God. Now, I may be a little bit like Job saying the, singing the woe is me for, for a little while. But ultimately, I hope that that wouldn't even happen. God gave, God took away. Blessed be the Lord God. That's Job's attitude when his wife first talks about it. Our goal should be to be so focused on God that we're at rest, that we are at peace, no matter what happens. Job is saying, even when I had my stuff, I wasn't at peace. I wasn't at rest. And I don't know if he's just looking over the last month or his whole life because it doesn't really indicate to us. But he's going, I'm miserable. I'm not happy. So we need to be careful about this. The lesson we get from Job is trust God. Trust God and not our stuff, not our expectations of God. Because if our expectations of God aren't in line with who God is, you know, we put him in some kind of box. God does not stay in boxes. You can't fit him in a box to begin with because the whole universe isn't big enough for him. But if you try to say, this is what God does, this is how God behaves, this is how God acts, and that is how you live your life, God is going to step out of that box to show you that you don't have a clue who he is. And, you know, this is the problem. We know that he is kind. We know he is righteous. We know he is just. We know he is holy. And we know that he will act within those realms. But the exact how he's going to do it, we don't know. We never know exactly how he's going to minister. So this is where we're ending today. Lord, we ask you to bless this. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you in all that we do. Help us to seek you in all that we do and to follow you in all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23 we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, but God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know Him. Do you know Him? Do you want to know Him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.